So, how's everybody doing, by the way? Yeah? Doing good? It's great to see you. Uh, when I was in the ninth grade, a fam- family friend of ours bought me a gift for my 14th birthday. They bought me a gold chain. I mean, it was like a really nice gold chain, uh, like kind of thick gold chain. I mean, it was actually like a lot nicer than... I didn't really know them all that well, even though they were kind of friends of the family. But I thought, wow, this is like kind of an over-the-top gesture. And uh, so I was really excited. Uh, I was in the ninth grade. I had just moved from Boston to Miami. And um, so I kind of had this button-down shirt that I wore a little more open with my gold chain. I had another gold chain that I wore. I was rocking my Edwin jeans. How many of you rocked Edwin jeans? Can I ask that? What's up? What's up? Anyway... So, um, so I had like these two things going on. I had like this Miami Vice slash pimp thing going. And, uh, and then, um, but I, I noticed something after a couple of days. Um, I, my neck, my entire neck started to turn green. Um, like I thought, I'm like, man, am I really that angry? You know, like, am I turning into the Incredible Hulk? Um, and I, I showed my mom uh, that my neck was turning green. And she said to me, she said, well, you know, let me show you something. And so she, she asked me to take off this gold chain and she flips it over and the whole thing was green. And that's when she told me the truth that I had not been given a real gold chain as a gift. I had been given this like gold by the inch kind of gold chain that I thought it was like several hundred dollars, you know, and it cost several hundred pennies. Um, and it was, and it was a letdown. It was a total letdown that something you think that is real, that turns out to be fake. It's kind of like, uh, I was seven. I remember waking up in the middle of the night when my mom and my stepdad were switching the court, putting a quarter under my bed, uh, under my, um, under my pillow and taking the tooth that had fallen out. And I'm like, Oh man, Tooth fairy, not real. It's fake. Um, I, I remember waking up uh, like in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve and walking out of my bedroom only to see my mom and my stepdad eating the cookies and milk that I had put out for Santa Claus. And I was like, that's so rude. There's not going to be anything when he gets here. And I confronted them and, and they told me the truth. And I, I you've never seen a, a sadder 15-year-old kid than that night. Um, and... Uh, I remember, I remember finding out uh, when the, the, probably the one that hit me the hardest is when I found out wrestling wasn't real. Um, I will, I'll be totally honest with you. I was the last person in the Northern Hemisphere to find out that wrestling uh, wasn't real. I mean, of all of my friends, like everybody knew it was fake except me. Uh, and like, and then the people would tell me that it was fake, and I'd be like, "Shut up, man! It's true. It's real." Uh, and, and I would tell them that it, that it was real. And when they would tell me it's fake, I would, I would say, no, you're, 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 you don't get it. You know, you're missing out anyway. And, uh, now let me just say, if some of you, I might be blowing your mind right now that you're into wrestling and you thought the whole thing was, was real. And you're like the last 30 years of my life, what have I been doing? You know? Um, but maybe, uh, there's just something about something that we think is real that turns out to be fake. Let me show you this picture. Um, Right. This looks like an Apple store. This is an Apple store in China. And this this came out, I don't know, about three or four months ago um, that this is actually not an Apple store. This is actually a fake Apple store. But what happened is a couple of some guys got together and you can Google this. This is actually a hilarious story. Um, the, the, these guys got a bunch of Apple products together. They got the, you know, the kind of wood uh, furniture pieces. They, they got these posters made up. 
And uh, they even got like the little name badges and all that. Um, the, the, and they just opened up for business. And so they started selling computers and they're selling uh, iPods and they're selling phones and they're selling all this stuff. And then, you know, they were making big money until somebody had a problem. And then they called Apple like, hey, I bought, you know, I, I, I bought an iPad and it, and it doesn't work. Uh, and and it, what can I do? And they're like, where'd you buy it? Oh, I bought it at the store on the corner of whatever and whatever. We don't have a store on the corner of whatever and whatever. What did I buy? You know, and that's not an iPad. It's an iPad or something. You know, it's something else. Anyway, the police come and shut them down. Now, the, it, it was so they couldn't even tell. The only reason they shut them down is because uh, they didn't have a business license. They weren't even sure if it was a real Apple store or not. They just said, well, we don't have a business license, so you had to, they had to shut it down. But, I mean, could you imagine being one of the people that came in and, like, dropped a bunch of money to buy something only to find out that it wasn't the real Apple, it was fake? You see, there, there, there's something that happens. There's this letdown that takes place. Um, and, and, and sometimes... We get let down, right? I think all of us get let down at some point in our lives because there's things that are supposed to be real that turn out not to be real. There's things that are supposed to be authentic that turn out to be fake. There, see, some of us, we fall in love and we think it's real. And then we find out, then the other person tells us, well, I'm sorry, I just don't feel that way. And the thing that we thought was real, that they th said was real at one point in time, turned out not to be real. And you know what it makes us wonder? If anything is real. You see, some of us invest in a friendship and, and we invest time and effort and energy into uh, in investing in this friendship. And we thought it was real friendship. And, you know, what we found out that that person was using us. And, and so it's like, no, but I thought it was real, but it turned out not to be real. And there's this heartbreaking and there's this thing inside. You're like, ah, I can't believe it. And this thing that we thought was real wasn't real. And we wonder if anything is real. You see, some of us have had people make us promises only to have them break the promise. And it makes us wonder. The thing I thought what they said was for real, but it wasn't for real. And now it makes me wonder if anything is real. Because it looked real and it felt real and it seemed real, but in reality, it was fake. You see, can I tell you some good news? The good news is this. In the midst of all of these things in the world that we live in that, that tries to play up the fact that it's real, but it's not real. There is something real. There is something that's true. There is something that's authentic. There is something that we can stand on and hold on. You see, today we're kicking off a brand new series called Real. It's called, it's authentic faith in a fake world. And we're going to be working our way chapter by chapter and verse by verse, as is our custom, through the book of 1 John. And the question is, why do this? Because 1 John is about having real faith, a real relationship with God, and making a real impact in our world and in the world uh, around us. You see, because here's what we know. You know what the problem is sometimes? Is that people are looking for something real and they look to the church and you know what they find sometimes? Something that isn't real. You ever heard this? People say about the church and about Christians. You know, the problem with the church is the church is full of what? You've heard that saying too. Yeah, I've heard it as well. And see, do you know what that statement says? 
Let me tell you what that statement says. I mean, if we just kind of get beneath the surface and beneath maybe like our feelings being hurt or whatever about people saying that, it's not that people, that unbelievers don't want to believe. It's just the opposite. It's that unbelievers look to the church wanting to believe, but they want to make sure that the believers actually believe. That the ones who claim to believe this stuff actually take it, for, that take it seriously and believe that it's for real. You see, they want to look on at the church and say that, this, that the church embraces the gospel, the message of Jesus. And, and listen, they're looking for people to say, are you for real? And so 1 John was written by the Apostle John, one of the original 12 uh, disciples of Jesus. In uh, the Gospel of John, he's referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it was written about 90 A.D. And, and I tell you all of this because at this time, around 90 A.D., all of the other disciples have been martyred. They've been killed for their faith in Jesus. He is the last one left. He's living in a city called Ephesus, There's, uh, which is, you know, if you've ever read the book of Ephesians, that's what it was written to, the city of Ephesus. He's the pastor of the church at Ephesus, the apostle John is, and he's nearing to the end of his life. And at near the end of his life, he wants to write a letter to the church, and he writes a letter to the church about what? How to live out a real faith. Why? Because no one is going to embrace a faith that you and I ourselves don't believe. That's why at the end of the book of 1 John, look at what he says. I, I put it in your notes, the first, uh, first verse in your outline. It's, he says this, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And so John opens this amazing letter that he writes to the church by giving us three factors for a real faith. And let me tell you why this is so important for you right now and why it is so just amazing that you're here today. Because you want the people that you love to come to know Jesus. And that happens through them seeing a real faith in you and in me. Because you want your kids to follow the Lord. And that happens when they see real faith in us. Because we want to know God. We want to experience God, us, as Christians. We want to hear God's voice. We want to experience God in our daily lives. And that happens through having real faith. And so we're going to start in 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to invite you to turn there. So you open your Bible if you have it. Open your um, Bible app if you have it. And uh, we're going to start in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what we read. He says, That's w- That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. If you pause there, let me tell you the the, the amazing part of this verse, if you give me your attention, and that is this. I'm going to tell you three things. And number one is this. This is where he opens this epistle by saying this, that which is from the beginning, which we have looked upon, which we our hands have handled, we've touched him, we've seen him, we've felt him. Here's the thing that's important. Number one, if you're taking note, and that is that real faith has a real savior. Real faith has a real savior. Um, I, I took my family to Disney World two weeks ago uh, because it was Star Wars weekend. And uh, my daughter loves Star Wars, took my nephew as well, and we had a great time. It was amazing. I mean, Disney really, like, outdid themselves in, uh, in, in doing this. But um, my son met his hero. Here's my son with his hero, uh, Lightning McQueen. Um, we had kind of a thing backstage before. Remember when we came out in the baby dedication, he was holding a lunchbox. 
um, that had that lunchbox was filled with cars. Um, and I'm like, well, why don't you just take one car? And he says, no, I take five cars because there was five cars in the lunchbox. And I'm like, I'm not going to have this argument. So anyway, he met his hero, Lightning McQueen. My daughter met her hero, um, Anakin Skywalker. She was so excited to meet Anakin Skywalker. I met my hero, Darth Vader. Um, but apparently when you tell him, you know, that, uh, you say some things negative to him, he, uh, he likes to choke anyway. So, um, but here's the thing, like we all know that's not real. I mean, at least most of us. And then there's like other people that dress up, uh, and when it's not Halloween, which just makes them weird. Um, but we all recognize that they're not real. They're, they're characters. They're pretending and all that, right? Uh, unless you're a little kid and that's okay. Like my, my daughter uh, did this thing. It's called the Jedi Academy where you fight Darth Vader. And so she fought Darth Vader. But then she didn't want to meet Darth Vader when we stood in line. Um, and, I, I, and I'm like, why is it? Well, because I fought Darth Vader and I won. And I, she's like, I, basically it was like he may be harboring like ill will towards me. You know, that was basically what she was saying. I'm like, I, I think he's pretty much over it, but, you know, we'll just let you hang back. Um, and, but listen, I tell you this because this is what some people at this time believed about Jesus. It's one of the main reasons that John wrote the epistle of 1 John. There were people that didn't believe that, when, that Jesus came in the flesh for real. They believed that it was just like, you know, Darth Vader. He was just pretend. He was just pretending. He appeared real, but he wasn't real. He wasn't really there. It was a mirage. It was, it looked, he looked human kind of as you would see him, but he wasn't really human. And this is a really important, important thing. And this is why John uses these tactile phrases to describe his experience in following Jesus. He says that our eyes have seen, our hands have handled, we are, we've looked upon him, we've witnessed this. He was made manifest to us. And, and um, because there was this group of people that didn't believe that. They didn't believe that Jesus really came in the flesh. These group of people were called Gnostics. Uh, Gnostics, if you're, if you're a note taker, it comes from the Greek word gnosko, uh, which means knowledge. And so they called themselves Gnostics because they believed that they had special knowledge, which is how you really understood God. And one of the things was you had to let go of this idea that Jesus really became a man. And so you let go of that and then you get all the special knowledge. Um, and so if, if you know people, and this, this idea of um, Gnostics and uh, Gnosko, all this, this even continues to this day. If you meet someone that hasn't fully decided what they believe about God, they call themselves a Gnosko or agnostic, right? That's, it's the same word. And so the idea is this. And so basically these, these Gnostics had developed a theology that Jesus did not come in the flesh. But what happened was, is that it sent the Gnostics in two different, um, in, in two different ways, in two different extremes. There was one group, if you're taking note, that were called the Stoics. The Stoics, uh, their answer to the fact that the, uh, the reason they believed that Jesus didn't come in the flesh was because the flesh is evil. And so because the flesh is evil, only the spirit is good. This is what they said. Um, because of that, their answer, the Stoics, they would beat their flesh, beat their bodies by whipping and punishing themselves. And that's how they beat their flesh into submission. There was another group that was called the Epicureans. The Epicureans had a totally different philosophy. Their philosophy was the flesh is evil, only the spirit is good. So it doesn't even matter what we do in our flesh. Um, it's because the flesh is evil, it's irrelevant. 
Only the spirit matters. So what they would do is they would indulge themselves in anything and everything and any kind of immorality that they would want to indulge themselves in because once again, it just didn't matter. Because of course, I mean, it, you know, it was the flesh is evil. The flesh doesn't matter. Only the spirit is good. So, so, so what happens? So you can imagine you have one group that whip and beat themselves. You got one group that like anything goes, you imagine, you know, which was easier to invite your friends to, um, you know, Hey, you want to come to church with me? What are you guys doing? We're usual whip ourselves. You know, we're going to run into a brick wall a few times, you know, it's fun. Uh, and so now what's funny is, is that history tells us that this group, they were pretty much divided evenly. Now, here's why this is important, because the essence of the gospel, the essence of the message of Jesus is that Jesus, that in Jesus, God became a man and died as a substitute for our sins. And both of these groups denied that Jesus had a physical body, which is, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, they were, they were saying that because they were very influenced by Greek uh, philosophy and Greek mythology and, um, now, what, what can happen is, and I tell you all this, is you can look at it and be like, you know, aren't these like, you know, theological debates that don't have any bearing on the real world? You know, I mean, does it really matter? Um, and the answer is yes. And here's sometimes what we, don't, what we don't realize, is that our theological understanding affects everything that we do. The fact that you're here and not working. Well, why aren't you working? Well, our office is closed on Sunday. Well, why is your office closed on Sunday? Well, I have no idea because I don't think you're supposed to work. Isn't that in the Constitution? Uh, no, it's not in the Constitution. It's actually a Judeo-Christian belief um, that Saturday you're off because it was the, it's the Jewish Sabbath, but Sunday they didn't work because it was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we all gather on Sunday. That's why we're all here because... We are celebrating the fact every Sunday, it's like Easter Sunday. Every Sunday we come in and celebrate the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. And then we, we have a reason to rejoice and a reason to celebrate. And so that's why the important thing is theology undergirds everything that we do practically. Now, here's why this particular teaching was so deadly spiritually uh, to those who believed it. They, because to believe that the, the flesh was evil, it led to two extremes. And here's, here's the first one, if you're, if you're taking notes. The first is this. Number one, it undervalues our sinfulness. It undervalues our sinfulness. If you are a Christian here, at some point in time, you came to know Jesus. You asked him to forgive you of all of your sins. But what would happen if you believed that the flesh didn't matter? I mean, if the flesh doesn't matter, then I probably don't need to ask God to forgive me because the flesh is evil anyway. So I can just kind of go on living how I'm living and I can, you know, maybe try to do a couple of good things, but it really doesn't matter because the flesh is evil and only the spirit, uh, only the spirit matters. And here's how that permeates itself into our, our world today. The way it permeates in our world today is that we be begin to judge ourselves based on our intentions and not our actions. Let me say that again. We will sometimes we'll judge ourselves based on our intentions and not our actions. So we might do something that's totally contrary to God's word, what God wants us to do, what God's will is. And, and then but I hear Christians all the time. And here's, here's what they'll say. They'll be doing something that like the Bible so explicitly talks about that. They're just God is, you know, like God says, do not do this, you know, uh, very bad, you know, whatever. And they'll say, well, you know, God knows my heart. Like and 
No, 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 it's okay. As if that's like the get out of jail free card of the Christian life is, well, God knows my heart. Well, let me tell you what the, what the Bible says about your heart. Uh, look at what it says in Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, God knows my heart. Guess what? It ain't that good. Sorry to tell you. And we need to be careful that we don't just think about doing the right things, but we actually do the things that God wants us to do. Jesus, I've quoted this verse so many times, but in John 13, verse 17, Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Because we don't give points to each other for our intentions, right? Like if somebody says to us, hey, you know, man, I I meant to call you, but I didn't. And you're like, oh, so sweet. You mean you thought about me and then found something better to do? Wow, that's so nice of you. No, we don't we don't do that. Right. There's a girl. Uh, I've told this story before. Um, there's a girl that I went to high school with. I graduated from high school 20 years ago, believe it or not. I know you say like, you're so young. I, I know. Um, but I graduated from high school 20 years ago. And uh, there is a girl that I went to school with that I was friends with that is convinced that I stood her up for the prom. Uh, I mean, convinced I stood her up to, to the prom. She says that at some point in time, I promised to take her to the prom and, um, for the record, I have no recollection of that. Um, and I tried after the prom. I mean, I guess she like got dressed. This is apparently the story that like one of my good friends from high school told me that she got dressed and she was waiting for me to pick her up. And see, I didn't pick her up because I didn't actually promise to take her. But she's convinced that I did. That apparently doesn't matter to her that I had no intention of taking her and I never promised to take her. She believes that I did. And you know what happens is she hates me. In fact, um, she, she hated me after that. She has never spoken to me since that day. Um, about a year ago, she friended me on Facebook. And you know what she said? She said, it's been 20 years and I still hate you. And uh, so we're friends on Facebook, but apparently we're really enemies on Facebook. And, but see, and even though I tell her that I never promised and I would never intentionally do that, ask her, intentions mean very little. They mean very little. And this kind of teaching, this kind of teaching that, hey, you know, whatever you do doesn't matter. That Listen, it, 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 it promotes that. This idea that, oh, if the, the, you know, the spirit's good, the flesh is evil, so it doesn't really matter what you do. Let me tell you what the other side that it does. And this is how this false teaching leads to extremes. Here's the second one. It undervalues our sinfulness. Number two, it undervalues our Savior. It undervalues our Savior. The, the reason the other group beat themselves is because they did not understand the gospel. They beat themselves because it made them feel more spiritual or more forgiven because they just whipped themselves and beat themselves. And Christianity teaches that, that there was one who was beaten, Jesus, so that I could be forgiven. And so, um, and listen, sometimes we think, well, if I just beat myself up a little bit, I will feel a little bit more spiritual. Can I tell you that that's just, that's Gnosticism. That's being, that's the Stoics of the Gnosticism who just beat themselves because they thought that made them more spiritual and they thought that made them closer to God. And listen, there are people, and you might be one of them, that you're still beating yourself up over things that happened in the past. And you're being just like the Gnostics. You're beating yourself up over stuff and in some sick way, you think that beating yourself up pleases God. That if you walk around guilty all the time, if you walk around feeling beat up, if you walk around feeling that you're a loser and that God could never do anything with you, that God looks on and he says, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. All right. 
You know, that's, can I tell you something? Um, that doesn't please God. That, that you're, can, I, can I just tell you this? You're not going to improve on the cross. Jesus was beaten. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again. And now you feel walking around feeling guilty or burdened or condemned doesn't actually make you closer to God. What makes you as close to God as you want to be is Jesus, the cross, his work. That's what does it. And it's us believing that and, and, and pressing into that that draws us closer to him. Believing the gospel means that God forgives you because of Jesus, because of the cross. And so guess what you have to do now? You, gotta, you say, well, God has forgiven me. Now you've got to forgive yourself. Guess what? Oh, because I'm a nice guy? No, you're still a loser. But that's not the point. That's not the point. We all, right, we, we've, all, we've all fallen short, right? Right? Winners are the ones who are perfect. All of us have fallen short, so we're something else. Okay? And so now, we don't forgive ourselves because we're nice or because we're a really good guy. We forgive ourselves because Jesus died for us and he paid the price for our sins. The Bible would say it this way in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you this? You need to memorize that verse. You need to put that verse on your dashboard. You need to put that verse on your desk, on your computer screen, wherever, that you can realize that, listen, there, if you're a Christian, then God does not condemn you. He's forgiven you. And He's given you the power, and He's given you the presence of the Holy Spirit to be able to live the kind of life that He wants you to live. Now, let me give you the flip side of this. Does that mean I shouldn't ever feel guilty when I sin? No, of course we should feel guilty when we sin. But it means we shouldn't live there. You see, when we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us of the sin. So if you've ever done something wrong and then been like, I shouldn't have done that. Listen, that's a good thing. That means that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. That he's, he's you know, pricked your conscience and you're like, I shouldn't have done that. And now what happens? Well, now what happens is, is that we, that guilt over the sin should cause us to confess our sin. And as we confess our sin... Here's what the Bible says and what we'll study next week in 1 John. He says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You see, guilt over our sin should lead us to Jesus and confession of our sin leads to restoration, forgiveness, and peace. That, my friends, is the heart of a loving father. Listen, I have three kids that I love with all of my heart. And when my kids sin, when my kids do something wrong, you know, do I want them to feel guilty about it? Yes, they should. But listen, it's not, it's not because I want them to live there and be like, wow, I'm so terrible. I'm, it, well, it's, I'm that, you know, I, I'm the worst. I don't want, no, 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 not that. It's that what you did was wrong. Do you recognize what you did was wrong? Yes, do you feel bad about what you did was wrong? Yes, okay, then, then here's what we can do. We can pray, we can ask God to forgive us. I forgive you, mommy forgives you, your brother or sister, whoever it is that you punched or whatever, they forgive you too, right? And, uh, and, and so, and then we can express love. Why? Because I don't condemn them. I love them, right? God doesn't condemn you if you're here and you're a believer and follower of Jesus. He doesn't condemn you, he loves you. But what happens is that when we sin, will there be uh, some, some guilt? Yes, but never to condemnation. God doesn't condemn you. Will there be some guilt because the Holy Spirit is working in us? Yeah, that's a good thing. That means that God is actually at work in us. 
If we can sin and do whatever we want and not feel anything, you should begin to question as to whether you're really walking with God. But listen, so here, here's what happens. And as a Christian, my friends, you aren't condemned. You're not perfect. It's not, it's not because you're perfect. It's because of the fact that he, Jesus, is perfect and he died for you. Well, look at what he says in verse 2. I know it's like, wow, we've been only done one verse. Okay, um, well, let's move it a little quicker. Verse 2, it says, The life was manifested, that is Jesus, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the next thing I want to share with you, and that is this, that real faith is experienced together. Real faith has a real Savior, and real faith is experienced together. When God created the world, as is recorded in Genesis, there's... Um, the, the, the writer Moses writes with a cadence, a pattern, a rhythm to the song. And day one, day two, day three. And so day one, God creates the world, creates light, and it was good. In day two, he separates the waters, gives the sky its name, and it was good. In day three, God separates the land, creates trees and seed and plants, and it was good. And day three is like a crescendo in the song because God says it's good twice. In fact, in Israel... Um, most weddings take place on Tuesday, the third day of the week, because they say that that was the day that God said it was good twice. So, so on Tuesday was the day that God was twice happy. And so that's why wed- most weddings take place on Tuesday um, in Israel. And by the way, you should think about that too if you want to save a bunch of money. Um, I can't help you with car insurance, but I can help you with wedding rates. Um, So day four, God creates the sun, the moon, the stars, and it's good. Day five, God creates the animals, the sea life, the birds, and it's good. And day six, God creates man, and then it's like, what happened? He says it's not good. Notice, but notice this, everything is good. There's a rhythm, there's a cadence to the song, and he's doing this on purpose. And then he gets to the creation of man, and he says, hold on, it's not good that man should be alone. That's what he said wasn't as good. The the idea of loneliness was bad. Loneliness was outside of the rhythm of what God was doing. And see, that's why the Bible uses a word that we translate fellowship, but it means so much more than that. And fellowship um, becomes like... We, we, we kind of like turn it into something. We reduce it to something more than or something less than it really is. Like when we think like, oh, you know, so what did you guys do? Oh, you know, we hung out and we had some fellowship. And and, you know, you know, what do you mean by fellowship? Well, you know, I mean, we had we had, you know, Coke and nachos and um, and like, OK, and uh, that's that's fellowship. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was fellowship. And then and then we prayed over the nachos um, because no one wants to get a tummy ache. And uh and so we prayed over the nachos. And, uh, but listen, do you know that the, the, this word fellowship um, means so much more than that? The word fellowship in the Greek is the word koinonia. And uh, the, the, this word koinonia, it, it, it's so rich. It, it's like very, we translate it fellowship, but it's like, it, 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 it's a word that's so pregnant with meaning. Um, because fellowship can mean hanging out together. But it means oneness. 
It means unity. It means unity in purpose, unity in direction. It means communion together. It means caring for one another. Uh, That's why in the early church, when they said this is what described what they did in your notes, it says they joined with the other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and fellowship, koinonia, the sharing in the Lord's Supper and in prayer. Can I ask you this? How many of you saw the first Lord of the Rings movie? Uh, okay, many of you. If not, you have homework. Um, but there's this scene in, in about, you know, the first, I don't know, three hours or so of the, of the first Lord of the Rings movie. Um, you know, I mean, it's like, that's like one of these movies that's like, it takes 20 minutes for a guy to say hello. Uh, but anyway, in the first Lord of the Rings movie, there, I don't know, it's probably, it really is probably like two hours into it or an hour and a half into it, that they, they all get together and they form this fellowship, the fellowship of the ring. Um, and, and this is what it is, this fellowship. But think about what it means when all these guys get together and they all agree on this one thing that they're doing, that they will be people that are on a common mission, united for a common cause, but they learn to care for each other. And, what, and so they were united in a cause, united to each other. And this is what this verse means in these opening verses of 1 John. And that is that we can have fellowship with each other. Because we have fellowship with God and fellowship with the Lord Jesus. And because we know him, we can actually have fellowship with each other. Can I, you see, you don't, you guys don't realize this because when I come out, you guys are all looking at me, but I'm looking at all of you. And can I tell you this, that this is a very diverse bunch Um, because right now, like I'm looking out and there's like grandmas sitting next to like a 20 something guy that's all tatted up. You know, you know, and, and which like if she saw him in public, she'd be afraid. Um, but she's here, so she feels mildly okay. Um, right? There's like a mom that's sitting next to a biker. There's a lawyer sitting next to a criminal, at least or an ex-criminal. We hope. Um, and uh, if not, he may get some extra business while he's here. Um, but listen, like the, us, we're like the we're like the bar scene in Star Wars. Okay? We are a motley crew. Okay, and 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 I'm and this is all of us. And and, you know why? Because we are a whole bunch of people that like normally we'd never have anything to do with each other. But yet we have one God, one savior, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And all of that unites us. And so what do we say? We have fellowship with God. We have fellowship with the Lord Jesus. And now we can have fellowship with one another. Because we have that common mission and all of this, we're, we're, we're connected to each other because of that. And let me tell you what happens when real faith has a real savior. And when real faith is experienced together, there's a third thing that happens in verse four. This is what he says in first John. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full, that your joy may be full. And that's because here's the last one. Real faith has unexplainable joy unexplainable joy. Listen, joy is different than happiness. Happiness many times is based on circumstances and, you know, uh, and, and things that are happening and, you know, where we are, what we're doing. That's why Disney never claims to be the most joyous place on earth. It, it claims to be the happiest place on earth because waiting in long lines and eating overpriced food is everyone's idea of good time, right? Um, but joy is different. Joy, uh, joy is, is an inside work that God does. It's an inside job that God does in our lives as we walk with him. The Apostle Paul would say these words in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. You know what's important for you to know about those words? You know where Paul was when he wrote those words? He was in prison. 
He was in prison because he is a Christian. And so he's chained, literally chained to a guard, a Roman guard. And as he's writing the letter, he's chained to a guard. He's got all of his freedom taken, taken away from him. And here's what he says. Rejoice always. I'm like, what? How is he able to have this unexplainable joy? Because he has fellowship with God. He has fellowship with the Lord Jesus. He has fellowship with other believers who are praying for him and cheering him on and they're ministering to him and he's ministering to them. And so even in his darkest moment, you know what he's trying to do? Minister to other people by writing these amazing letters that he wrote. What are called the prison epistles in Colossians and Ephesians and others. And he writes these and it's like, um, and it's, it's because he's doing... How could he have joy in these moments? It's because he had fellowship with God and because he was doing what God wanted him to do. And it's in those moments that he had, he had a joy. What the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians, what's called a joy unspeakable. It's like, I can't even explain it, he would say, what it is to have this kind of joy. And see, that kind of joy is meant to be shared. So here's what we're going to do. I want to introduce you to something that I believe has the ability to revolutionize our city. But not only do I believe it has the ability to revolutionize our city, I believe that it has the ability over the next 90 days to revolutionize you. Check this out. Watch the screen. Calvary Fellowship. This is Joel here, the Director of Missions and Outreach at the church. And we're here in downtown Fort Lauderdale today. And we're asking people one simple question. What does it mean to be real in the middle of a plastic world? Hey guys, how you doing? Uh, would you mind if uh, we buy you some coffee or buy you a drink or something today? Sure. Everybody, we're here with Norman, Nancy, and Mei Ling. Yes, yes, Mei And uh, guys, if you wouldn't mind, we'd just like to go in and buy you a coffee. Is that cool? That would be terrific. Thank All you right. so much. No problem. We have two iced coffees. Two iced coffees? Yeah. There you go. Thank you so much. Hey, man, do you mind if I take care of this for you? Uh, sure. Thanks. Right. Thanks, bro. How different would the world be if we would just give each one of us a little more of our time to, to others? I think it would be a better place. Can you tell us... How would the world be different if everybody took just a little more time for other people and gave a little bit more of ourselves to other people? Would it be different? Oh, yeah, it'd be a lot different. How would the world be different if everybody was a little more generous, was a little more real to each other? Um, everybody would end up having what they need, I think, rather than what they want. So there you have it. We had some pretty interesting responses, some pretty interesting reactions today. Our challenge today to you is this. How can you change your neighborhood, your workplace, and your city today? All right, so check this out. Yeah, you can clap for that if you want to. All right, one clap, thank you. Um, all the rest of you were too late. But whoever was a clap there, God bless you. So uh, here's what we're doing. We're actually starting something today over the next 90 days that we're going to be involved in that we're calling Get Real. And the whole thing is when you leave, there's going to be a guide that we're going to give you. Um, and it's going, to look, it's going to look just like this. And uh, what we're doing is as long as we're in the book of 1 John uh, through the summer, 
is we're going to talk about getting real and doing good in our community. And not just to talk about it, but to actually start doing it and start doing it in real tangible ways. One of the things that I love with these, that the guys have put together is um, there's, a, there's a bracelet that we're going to give you um, that's, uh, that just says real. That's it. It just has the Calvary website on it. But the point of it is this, is that when you see that thing, you put that thing on, or maybe you keep it on for the next, uh, you know, couple months or so, that here's, here's the point of it. The point of it is that when you look at it, it's just to be a reminder that we're supposed to be real in the midst of a world that's fake because people are looking for something authentic in a world of mirages. And so uh, there's that. The other thing that there's this, there's, um, there's the, the, the pledge you know, to love God and love our neighbor. And the other thing that, that I love in here is that there's 100 ideas of things that you can do just to be real. Um, that is, you know, things you can do for your neighbor, things that you, could, you know, um, things that you can do for people that you meet in your workplace, in your school, wherever it is. And this doesn't have to be like a real heavy-handed, uh, you know, like turn or burn kind of thing, you know, like, you know, I'm going to give you some hot sauce. You think that's hot. You know, it's not like that. Um, it's not, it's not anything like that, but it's just something where we just show in practical ways that God loves people. You know, a lot of people walk around and you know what they, they believe? It? Their belief is not that God hates them. Their belief is that God does not care for them or think about them. Um, and you know, the Bible says this, that more than the sand that is on the seashore are God's thoughts towards us. And we need to go out and share with people the reality that God loves them and is thinking about them even in, in, the, in the smallest of ways. You know what's cool about uh, the story with Joel putting cookies on his neighbor's, um, on his neighbor's doorstep is that um, the, that evening he got a phone call from them because he left his number and said, hey, you know, and, and it wasn't like one of these things, I ate the cookies and now I want to receive Jesus. What was in those cookies? Uh, you know, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. But it was like, hey, thank you so much. And what it's begun is a conversation, a dialogue, um, a, 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 a friendship. And so now the cool thing about these hundred things is that it's, um, you know, we're just, that's just like, uh, that's our list. You can come up with thousands more of things that you can do. Maybe you're in line and just like you saw, you know, you're going to buy something at Starbucks, just buy something for the guy behind you. You know, you figure, yeah, I'm going to have whatever, I'm going to get this and whatever he's getting, I'll, I'll, I'll pick that up too. Um, I have a friend that... Um, that, 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 did, that did something like this. And this is kind of his thing. Um, he was in a bookstore, and he used a bookstore. He's buying some books. And um, this, uh, he, he buys some books, and this guy behind him is buying this book on Jewish history. Uh, now, this guy, his name's John. He's a pastor. And, um, and he's, he's, this guy's buying this book on Jewish history. So he, get, he puts his pile of books at the used bookstore. And, you know, the book's like three bucks or whatever. And he says, you know what? And I'll pay for his book, too. And he's like, Really? Yeah, and he goes, well, my best friend's Jewish, so it only makes sense that I would do that for you. And, uh, and so, well, it was supposed to be a little funnier than that, but anyway. Um, see, that was another late thing. Um, now, 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 here's why are we doing this? We're doing this because we want to reach our city. We're doing this because the church, the church of Jesus, plural, not just our church, but the church in general, needs to change its reputation to being a church, a place that, oh, you know, I know the church, they're full of hypocrites. But you know, what if there was another place where, you know what, man, those are full of radical, loving, crazy, just passionate people who they just go out of their way to do good. 
And they go out of their way to just share God's love with people in the simplest of ways, knowing that sometimes the simplest thing can lead to the most profound conversations that lead to faith and lead to, lead to transformation and lead to um, gospel and, and so many other amazing things. But you know why else we're doing this? For you. Because there is fullness of joy when we have fellowship with God, when we have fellowship with each other, and when we are on mission doing what God wants us to do. But can I tell you this, that um, you may be here and there's something even more fundamental as to where this begins. Um, maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never asked him to forgive you of all of your sins to, um, you know, maybe, maybe you're in a place where you're like, man, what would happen if today was my last day? I mean, what would happen if like I died today? Um, am I sure that I would go to heaven? Am I sure? I mean, do I even know what would happen? Can I, can I tell you something that um, you can, you can be, you can know for sure that you would go to heaven, be accepted by God and be forgiven by God because of what Jesus did. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And it's when we come to the cross, when we um, receive by faith the fact that Jesus died for our sins, for your sins and mine, and desires to forgive us, when we embrace that, that we experience peace, forgiveness, joy, transformation. Every single one of us have fallen short of God's standard. Every single one of us. And yet, even though we have, God loved us too much to leave us in that condition. And so what he did was he sent his son into the world so that to, to die for us, so that we could have eternal life if we put our faith and trust in him. Listen, can I, can I just be a bit bold for a moment that some of us, you've been looking for joy your whole life and you haven't found it. And it's not because you weren't sincere and it's not because you didn't really want it. It's because you've been looking in all the wrong places. But right now, listen, I want you to experience fullness of joy. The kind of joy that God offers to every person. And that's why in a moment we're going to pray and I'm going to invite you to receive Jesus as your Savior. Because that's where the journey begins. That's where life begins. That's where fellowship with God begins. And that's where fullness of joy begins. pray together. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you didn't just leave us to figure it out, but instead you sent your son Jesus to die for us, to rise again from the dead, proving that he's God and showing us, Lord, that as we put our faith and trust in you through the cross, that you can forgive us, that you will transform our lives and you will change our lives forever. And so God, I know there's many in this room that want to make that choice, that want to make that decision. God, may this be the day. Listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed as we're praying together, maybe you're in a place where you'd say, Pastor Bob, I want you to pray for me because I want to invite Jesus to come into my life. I want to experience the joy that you talked about. I want to experience real faith as you described it. I want to experience what real forgiveness is, what real love is. If that's you, with every head bowed, with every eye closed, I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. I see hands in the back. God bless you. Hands in the front. God bless you. 
Anyone else? I see some hands in the middle there. God bless you guys. Some hands in the back there. God bless you. And Lord, we thank you for those who have lifted a hand because it represents a heart that's open, a spirit that's ready. And so, Lord, my prayer, my hope, is that you would answer when they call out to you. That as they look to heaven and reach in your direction, that you, God, would do what you promised, which is that if we would draw near to you, that you would draw near to us. So, Lord, do a great work in this place, we ask. In Jesus' name.